In Jesus' name, amen. The ushers can receive the tithes and the offerings. Good morning. How are you doing today? Doing all right? Good, good. Hey, uh, turn with me to the book of Job, if you would. The book of Job, that's in the Old Testament. It's right before the book of Psalms. Most people are familiar with the book of Psalms. It's in about the middle of the Bible. And Job is right before that. And uh, we're going to talk about today why bad things happen to good people. Have you ever had that question? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do tragedies happen to Christians? Why does sickness and disease hit Christians? Why do some Christians die young and tragically? I think it's a question all of us have asked. Have you ever asked that? So we're going to do our best with that today. We may not get all the answers, but we'll, we'll do our best. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the book of Job, and it's pronounced Job, not Job, but Job, it is about a righteous and prosperous man who is attacked by the devil. He loses almost everything that he has and is then restored by God to a place of greater prosperity than he had at the beginning. Now, unfortunately, there is a lot of misunderstanding about the book of Job. When Job is mentioned, most people who know anything about Job or who have heard sermons here or there over the years, when, when Job is mentioned, most people talk about suffering, tragedy, and there is a lot of that in the book of Job. And people want to talk about poor old Job. Have you ever heard anybody say poor old Job? Well, the suffering Job endured took place over about a one-year period of his life. Now, he lived to be well over 200 years old, and the suffering that you see in the book of Job took place in about a one-year period of his life. The book of Job is basically a snapshot. Um, how... Do you all look good when you get up in the morning? How would you like it if when you get up in the morning and you roll out of bed and your, your hair is probably... Now, I don't have a problem with my hair in the morning, but a lot of people do, you know. How would you like us to take a picture of you when you get up in the morning and that's the only thing, we're going to put that in the newspaper and that's the only thing we're ever going to, and you're going to live to be 100 years old and we're, that's all we're ever going to talk about is that picture of you in the morning. Well, that's kind of what happened to Job. The book of Job is a snapshot of about a one-year period of his life and unfortunately that's all pretty much people ever talk about is that one year of tragedy. When, in fact, to be like poor old Job, if you look at the entirety of his life, he had, now, now listen to this, he had a dynamic revelation of God's nature and power. He came to possess the spiritual grace and strength of character to pray for his friends, 
that accused him and him and hurt him and mistreated him. He had the ability to rise above anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness. If you're going to be like poor old Job, you're going to be healed. If you're going to be like poor old Job, you're going to be one of the wealthiest people on the earth. He was a successful businessman. In modern day terms, Job had about 1,000 employees. He had 1.5 million acres of land. The value of that was about $1.25 billion. He, had, he would have had a, a approximately $100 million a year cash flow. How many would like to have that? The enemy, who is the devil, hit him. How many of you know there is a devil out there? There, there is. How many of you know God's bigger than the devil? But the devil hit him. Some bad things did happen. And at the end of the book, Job got twice as much as he had to begin with. See, most people don't talk about that. They just talk about that snapshot of that one bad year that he had. Has anybody ever had a bad year, a bad month besides me? I mean, you know, you don't want to center in on that one bad day or that one bad month or that one bad year. But that's what has happened to Job. He had a beautiful family. So if you're going to be like poor old Job, you're going to have a beautiful family. God bragged about Job and was very proud of him. That's a good thing. He lived to a ripe old age of over 200 years old. They lived longer back then. And of course, he had twice as much at the end as he did at the beginning. So that's the whole scope of, that's a whole photo album. Have you ever seen a photo album? I mean, you look at the whole thing, you get the whole picture, but you don't want to just take the one picture where somebody caught you with your eyes closed and squinting, right? You don't want to just take that one picture and say that, you know, that's what the person looks like all the time. You need to look at the entirety. And that's what you have to do with Job. Don't just look at that one bad year. Now, Job is the oldest book in the Bible. It has 42 chapters. Yet most people who have ever read the book of Job, now listen, 42 chapters, most people who have, who have, who, who have ever read the book of Job, they never make it out of chapter 2 without getting bogged down and drowned with many theological and philosophical questions, arguments, and debates about various and sundry things. And they miss the main themes of the book. And one of the main themes of the book is why do the righteous suffer? So we're going to do our best with that today. Look at Job chapter 1. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Hopefully you have one. Some people have it on their phone or their laptop or their whatever it is. But if not, it'll be up there. Job chapter 1. We're going to read some, some scriptures. Um, notice there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. They were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the east. And I told you what his worth would be in modern day terms. Verse 4, And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of uh, feasting had run their course that Job would send and, and sanctify them 
And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Now there was a a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. Now we're not going to read the whole book of Job. I'm just reading a few few things here. So don't, if you're visiting, my gosh, this guy's going to read 42 chapters. We're not going to do that. But a lot of people get bogged down in verse 6. They want to know who the sons of God were. were the, those, those are the angels. And then they want to know how come Satan was able to come among the angels. And most people get bogged down in verse 6 and never get out of verse 6. And they, they spend their time debating verse 6. I don't want to debate verse 6 this morning. We can do that some other time. Let's don't miss the main theme of the book. Verse 7. And the Lord said to Satan, He said, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Now that's a good thing to have God saying that about you, isn't it? And Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him? How many of you know that's a good deal when God has built a hedge of protection around you? And around his household and around all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. You might want to underline that because see what the devil wants us to do is curse God in our hearts. That's what the devil wanted Job to do. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now you see that God allowed something here. We'll talk about that more in a moment. In verses 13 to 20, Job loses his property and his children. We could read all of that, but for the sake of time, we won't. Look at verse 21. And Job said after he lost his property, he lost his children. How many of you know that's, that's, it'd be hard enough to lose one child? But what if you lost all of them? Pretty much at the same time. And notice in verse 21... Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I'll return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Notice verse 22. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Now, the thing you need to understand here is that we get to see something that Job did not get to see. We got to see behind the scenes. See, to Job, it looked like God was doing all of this to him. But how many of you know God wasn't doing all of the tragedy to him? It was the devil that was doing it. Is that correct? See, Job didn't have a Bible like we have. He didn't have the revelation of the Word of God that we have. He, he didn't have the revelation of God that we have. He doesn't, didn't have the revelation of the devil that we have. We know a lot of things that Job didn't know. 
I like to say this, Job did better without a Bible than most Christians do with a Bible. Job didn't know it was the devil attacking him. He did not know what Jesus said in John the 10th chapter, that the thief comes what? To what? Steal, kill, and destroy. But God, Jesus came, the Lord, to give us life and give it to us more abundantly. Job did not know what Peter wrote in 1 Peter when he said, Be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. See, Job didn't know that. You understand that? Now in Job 2, I want to read a few more verses and then we'll skip to the end of the book and summarize. But Job chapter 2, verse 1. So Job has lost his property. He's lost his children. Job 2, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan among, came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking back and forth in it or on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, blameless and upright, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity. Notice he, Job lost all. He lost his children, his property, all of that. And notice he still holds fast to his integrity. Although, now watch this. All, now, now the Lord is speaking to the devil here. And he says, Although you, now watch this, you incited me against him to destroy him what? With what? Whenever tragedy happens, what do people start asking? Why did it happen? What was the cause? What was the cause? What was the cause? God himself here says that the devil tried to get God to destroy Job without a what? There's no cause. There, there, was, there was nothing that Job did. That would have caused the tragedy. Yet we're going to see, as I summarize here in a few moments, some 35 chapters is spent trying to figure out what what the cause was. Why did the tragedies happen to Job? Yet God says right here, without what? Without cause. So verse 4, So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin... Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will surely curse you to your face. What does the devil want us to do to curse God? And the Lord said to Satan in verse 6, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job. Now who struck Job? Was it? It was Satan, but now God did allow it. We're going we're gonna to say something about that here. So the, Satan went out. Satan is the devil. He went out. He struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd. That means pottery. He took a piece of broken pottery. And he, with, with it, he scraped himself while he sat in the midst of, of ashes. He was scraping the boils off. Then his wife said to him, Job's wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now who had she been listening to? The devil. And in fairness to her, 
I like to try to be fair to people. She had just lost all of her children. But no matter what you lose, you never curse God. Is that right? But she said, curse God and die. She shouldn't have been telling him that. Verse 10, but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all, and of course, we understand Job didn't have the revelation of God that we have. So when he made that statement, he made that statement based on the revelation he had. But notice the last line there, the last sentence. In all this, Job did not what? Sin with his lips. Then, if you go to verse 11, we'll see that three fellows show up. They're known as Job's friends. Now, usually when you hear of Job's friends, a negative thing comes right away, and, and, and there's a lot of negative these guys brought, believe me. But they started out right. Most people don't know they started out right. Look at verse 11, Job 2, verse 11. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon Job, each one came from his own place, Elphiaz, Bildad, and Zophar, okay? For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. How many of you know when people hit tragedy, they need somebody to come and be with them? When we're in a, in a tragic moment in our life, it's good to have somebody there. Look at verse 12. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they didn't recognize Job. He'd just been through, he'd just been through, he'd, he'd been so, so sick, sickness hit him. Why did the sickness hit him? Well, God said without cause, but they didn't recognize him. They lifted their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. That was a custom that they had. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him. That was really good. In times of tragedy, you don't need people to show up and start philosophicalizing with you. You just need somebody a lot of times just to sit there and hold your hand. Just to put your arm around you and say, I'm here with you. To, I'm, just, I'm just here with you. Anything you need, we'll, we'll do what we can. One of the worst things you can do when somebody is going through tragedy is, start, is become philosophical. Do you understand that? So these guys started out good. And they didn't say a word. They were just there with him. And they saw that his grief was very great. So they started out real good. But then they didn't stop there. They went on and Job kind of kicked it off in chapter 3. He cursed the day of his birth. I wish I'd never been born. Has anybody ever said that besides Jimmy Stewart on It's a Wonderful Life? I mean, we probably all said that. But then for the next 35 some odd chapters, which we're not going to read, they get real philosophical and Job and his three friends for the next some 35 some odd chapters, they have a philosophical argument, Job and his three friends, about things, listen to me, about things they did not fully know about nor understand. 
And the bulk of the book of Job, the bulk of the book of Job is about Job and his three friends having a philosophical discussion or argument about things that none of the four of them really understood. Have you ever been in a discussion with somebody and you know you didn't they didn't know what they were talking about and admittedly you didn't either? It just gets worse and worse and worse. Has that ever happened to anybody besides me? And they just didn't know what they were talking about. You need to understand this about the book of Job. It's the word of God. It's in the word of God. And the record of the book of Job is inspired. And it's inspired insofar as that everything that is recorded in there is, is, is accurate and true in what was said. But you need to realize that when, when Job and his three friends were speaking, what they were saying wasn't always true. Did you get what I just said? It's true that they said it, but what they said was not always true. Did you get that? So the book of Job is inspired. It's true that they said what they said, but not all of what they said is true. And God will say that. We'll see that here in a moment. God himself said that you've spoken things about me that were not right. Have you ever heard somebody speak about God things that were not right? Have you ever spoke things about God that were not right? You probably didn't do it on purpose, but maybe in a point of anger or point of misunderstanding or something. So they go on for some 35 chapters going back and forth. Eventually this man named Elihu shows up and he's a fourth friend of Job and he begins to say some things and what he had to say made it was more solid than what Job and his three friends were, 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 were talking about. But if you went in and read through those 35 chapters, which we won't do, here's the main point of their discussion. And here, 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 here it is. Why did all of this tragedy happen to Job? Why did all those bad things happen? Now, it is clear that the devil caused the destruction. Is that right? But you cannot... Look at this book fairly and say that God did not allow it because God did allow it. So then that begs the question, well, why did God allow it? Now, I cannot give you an ironclad reason as to why God allow it, but I can say this. It's clear to me that God wanted to show the devil that Job would remain loyal to God no matter what, with or without blessing. Do you know there's some people that will only serve God if they're blessed and if God blesses them, but if the blessing stops, they no longer will serve God. Did you know that? I've met a lot of people like that over the years. But perhaps God wanted to show the devil that I've got a man here that loves me for me, not the goodies that I give him, but he loves me for me, and he's going to love me for me no matter what, in the midst of good times or in the midst of bad. I've got a, hey devil, I've got a man here named Job that's going to love me no matter what. I think that that's one of the reasons God allowed the devil to do what he did. And as a lesson to us, we ought to be like Job, that we need to love God and serve him in the, in the midst of good things, but also in the midst of 
bad things. Did you get that? And even though, you see, it looked to Job like God was causing the calamity, Job still, though he said some things about God that, as you, you know, that were not exactly correct based on the revelation we have, but with, with a lesser revelation than we have, here's a man that look, it looked to him like God brought him blessing. It looked to him like God caused destruction. But at the end, I'm, still, I'm not going to curse God. I'm still going to serve him. That's one of the big lessons we need to take away from the book of Job. And, of course, here's another thing I want to say to you. People will say, well, why does God allow all these things to happen? Why doesn't he just stop evil right now? Well, if you look at Jesus' parable of the wheat and the tares over in the New Testament, which we spend most of our time, if you attend here, in the New Testament, but today we're in the book of Job. But Jesus, in his parable of the wheat and tares, makes it clear that for God to eliminate all evil at this time, it would cause great damage to those who love and follow him. You need to understand that. Well, why doesn't God just stamp out all evil right now? Because for him to do it, it would probably hurt you pretty badly. And, and you can look at the wheat and the tares parable and see that. But there's going to come a day where God is going to separate the good from the evil and the evil will be burned, the Bible says. How many of you know there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun? How many of you know God doesn't want anybody going to hell? Is that right? That's why I sent Jesus to the cross. And you can miss hell and make heaven that quick by repenting and saying, Jesus, come into my heart. And that quick, you change your eternal destiny from one of hell to one of eternity with God. Isn't that wonderful? But for God to go in there and deal with all evil right now, it would hurt you and me. So he's going to wait till the end and then deal with it. Now, one of the main things Job... Now, listen to this. One of the main things that Job's friends assumed is that the calamities happened to Job because of sin in Job's life. That's one of, if you read those 35 some odd chapters, that's one of the biggest things that came up is Job's friends said that the reason that all this stuff has happened to you, Job, is because of sin in your life. And then they went on to say, they said, because, the severity, because your calamities are so severe, you must be one of the worst sinners that's ever lived. That's essentially what they said to Job. Have you ever saw somebody that ran on tough times and right away people are trying to figure out what they did wrong to cause that? Yes or no? So that's what these guys are trying to figure out. Why did the storm come to Job? Did you know that the storms of life come to us all? The crises of life come to us all. You can look in the Bible and you can see that storms come. Now listen to this. Storms come in the midst of disobedience. How many of you know Jonah disobeyed God and he got in a storm, didn't he? And wound up in the belly of a fish. Is that right? But also when you say that, there was a time that Jesus told the disciples to get in the boat and go to the other side of the, of the, of the, of the lake. How many remembers that? 
And right in the midst of obedience, the disciples get into a storm. So you've got one thing here where, where Jonah disobeyed God and got into a storm, but then you've got the disciples obeyed God and got into a storm. See, at the end of the day, you can't figure it all out. How come this happens to this one, but it doesn't happen to this one? How come it, it doesn't happen here, but the tragedy does happen there? Have you ever seen where a storm comes in and, and just destroys a whole big area, a, a big hurricane, and people will right away say, oh, that was the judgment of God. I've learned this about God. With God, there's no collateral damage typically ever at all. How come a big storm comes in and it wipes out a nursing home and an orphanage, but it doesn't touch the bar and the porno shop? And then we're going to say that's God doing it. No, God's got, God's got better aim than what a lot of people give him credit. You understand what I'm saying? But people just shoot their mouths off too quick and they well, that was God judging. Nah, you know, I learned from the Wizard of Oz a long ago. How many of you ever watched the Wizard of Oz? You know, the munchkins and all of that. Remember when the Wicked Witch is in, in Oz there, you know? And, uh, and, 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 and Glenda, she, don't write me a letter about watching The Wizard of Oz. I mean, this is a kid's movie, you know. But remember, the, Glenda said to the Wicked Witch of the West, she said, watch out or the next house is going to what? Fall on you. See, so when something, some, something bad happens to somebody, I, I, I don't want to be judgmental because I don't want the next house to fall on me. And we'll put it in Jesus' words. Judge not that ye be not judged. I've already seen churches where something bad happens to somebody and the church gets together to figure out what sin that person committed that caused them to have that tragedy. Isn't that sad? Very sad. Did you know that storms happen in the midst of disobedience, but they also happen in the midst of obedience? Do you know sometimes storms happen because of others? Paul, the apostle, was in the middle of a storm, not because of anything he did. He was in the will of God. It was just because of bad decisions other people make. Have you ever been in a storm because of a bad decision somebody else made? Did you know that Jesus, there's times people came to our Lord when he was here in his earthly ministry... And uh, he'd say to them, he'd heal them, and then he'd say, go and sin no more lest a worse thing come on you. Remember that? So it's clearly sometimes sin does cause a problem. But then there was another time the disciples asked him, and he said there was a blind man, and they said, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, to cause the blindness? And the Lord said, neither one sinned to cause the blindness. Why was he born blind? How many of you know we live in a fallen world? Really, it goes back. Why did God put the guard, the tree, in the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, in the Garden of Eden? People want to want to know that, and I'll tell you why He put the tree in the the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. Because God didn't want you and me to be robots. He had to give us a choice. He had to give man a choice. And if you don't give somebody a choice, then you have nothing more than a robot. I want my wife to love me and be with me, not because she has to be, but because she chooses to be and wants to be. That's love, see. And if there's not a choice, then you don't have, you don't have true love there, you see. But you know, God is so good. He knew that man was going to mess up before he ever put him in the garden. And that's why the Bible says Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God had a, had a solution to man's mess up before he ever put man in the garden of Eden. Is that, isn't God good? 
But the storm came to Job. Storms come to everybody. Now, I heard one minister claim that Job's tragedies were due to his fear about his children cursing God. Now, notice, look at Job 3.25 very quickly. Job said, For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. And there's some people build a whole doctrine around, well, whatever you're afraid of, it's going to happen to you. Now, how many of you know fear is a bad thing and we shouldn't be afraid? Is that correct? But did you know that this, that some preachers preach this as a, as a solid doctrine, that if you're afraid of anything, that that thing is going to happen? You know, I've feared a lot of things over the years and worried about a lot of things over the years, and not a one of them has ever happened. How about you? I've known a lot of people over the years who have feared certain things and those things have never happened. It's not, this, this fear, you know, we shouldn't be afraid. I'm not preaching, we, preaching that we should fear. We shouldn't fear. We should have faith. Is that correct? But people will say, well, see, it was the fear. It was the fear that Job had, that, that fear that he had. And it was because of that fear that that hedge came down. You can't preach that and say for sure that that's the reason the hedge came down. You just can't do that. It might be, but, but God said that the devil was trying to get God to destroy Job without a... Without a what? Without a what? Without a cause. So you can't say it was, it, it, it was afraid, that, that fear... Did, opened up the head you can't you it you can't say that do you understand i mean you can, you can say it but you can't preach it as a doctrine now i've heard preachers preach that the whole they'll say the whole job's whole problem is that he was in fear well we shouldn't be in fear we're not supposed to be in fear but i'm just telling you you can't preach fear here as the reason that those things happened to job can you say amen Because like I said, I know a lot of people who have feared and worried about things that never have happened to them. So it's not, a, it's not, a, it's not a, a, a law that you can preach. So anyway, Job and his friends, they go on for some 35 chapters. Why did this happen to Job? What's, you know, he must be a sinner and so on. And actually, Job, if you study into it, he got aggravated with his friends and he actually got over into a period of self-righteousness and all of that. None of, none of that's good. But then finally, God listens for some 35 chapters and then God speaks up. How many of you would like to hear God, what he has to say? So go to Job 38. I'm going to read a few verses in the New Living Translation. So God's sitting for 35 chapters listening to this. And finally, he speaks up. And in Job 38 verse 1, New Living Translation will be on the screen. The Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. And he says, who is this? that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words. Now he was talking to Job and his three friends there. He was talking to Job but he, concerning their discussion. And then he says, brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. How many of you don't want God asking you questions? <laughs> And, and I'd encourage you to read what God had to say. I'm not going to take the time to do it here this morning. It would take too long. You ought to read it sometime, but I can't answer any of them. Job couldn't answer any of them. I bet you can't answer any of them. And then in chapter 40, 
verse 1, Then the Lord said to Job, Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? I don't want to argue with the Almighty, do you? He says, You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? Then Job replied to the Lord, and notice verse 4, what Job says. He says, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. Everybody look up here. When God got done, here's Job. And in the midst of whatever it is you're going through, and you've been questioning God and wondering why and why and why, if God actually spoke to you, by the time he got done, you'd be just like Job and so would I. We'd be sitting there. Did you hear me? He said, I'll cover my mouth with my hand. Verse 5, I have said too much already. Has any of you ever said too much already? He said, I have nothing more to say. God shut him up. And then in chapter 42, the last chapter, I want to read some verses here. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You ask, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking, now listen to what Job says. He, he, you got to give him credit here. He said, I admit it. And then he says, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about. Has any of us ever done that? He said, I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Job said that to the Lord. I had only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. Wow. And then verse 6, I take back everything I said. Has anybody ever been like Job and me on that? I take it back. (laughs) I I accused you wrongly. I, I didn't really understand when I made that statement. I shouldn't have said that. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Well, Job repented, didn't he? Isn't it good to know we can repent when we shoot our mouths off and say things we shouldn't say? Verse 7, after the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Elphiaz, the Temnah, that's one of his, Job's friends, he said, I'm angry with you and your two friends. The Lord was angry with them because they said things about Job that weren't so. For you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. God says they were not speaking accurately. So take, now look at how good God is. Now he just listened to 35 chapters of a bunch of philosophical nonsense and look how good God is. He tells him, verse 8, So take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I'll accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve. Can anybody say amen to that? That's the grace of God right there in the Old Testament. For you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. One lesson we learn here, don't try to figure things out when things are going bad in people's lives. I keep repeating that because I want you to get that. You've not spoken accurately about me. 
as my servant Job has. And there's a lot of things Job said that were, were accurate. And of course, we've already seen some things were, were, were not accurate. But uh, God looked at Job's repentance. And when people repent, God forgives and forgets. Isn't that wonderful? So verse 9, So Elphiaz and Bildad and Zophar, those are the three friends, did as the Lord commanded. Well, that was smart on their part. The three friends looked like they got some sense here at the end. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. So did God forgive the three friends? Verse 10, When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as he had before. Isn't that wonderful? And then you can read all the blessing that God gave him. He doubled it all back up. Verse 16, Job lived 140 years after that, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. He died an old man who had lived a long, full life. How did I do with the book of Job in 20 minutes? But I'm not done yet. Don't zip that Bible up. I'm almost done. Go to James 5.11. Because you see, we try to draw a lot of things from the book of Job. I don't like to preach too long, but I want to I finish this up. I know that your mind can only absorb what your seat can endure. I, I used to be a school teacher years ago, so I understand that. Better less said and a lot remembered than a lot said and little remembered. I understand all that, but James 5.11 in the New Testament tells us what we need to get out of the book of Job, the main lesson. And here it is in James 5.11. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance or the patience or the endurance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So what, what two things should we take away from the book of Job according to the New Testament that Job endured? He had patience. He persevered is, is a better way to say it, just like it says. He persevered through a difficult year of, of his life. He persevered. He never cursed God. And that the second thing, the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. You see, most want to talk about the reason the tragedy... Now listen to this. Most want to talk about the reason the tragedies happened at the beginning of the book of Job rather than the compassion and mercy of God seen at the end of the book. Let me tell you what. Center in on God's blessing at the end rather than the, the devil's attack at the beginning. I want to say that again. Center in on God's blessing at the end rather than the devil's attack at the beginning. As to the question, why do the righteous suffer? The question, listen to this. The question is never answered in the book of Job. God spoke as we saw and he never answered the question. Not because he couldn't, but because he didn't want to. Notice Deuteronomy 29, 29. Go there quickly. Don't ever forget this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but
But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we, that we may do all the works of the law. Listen to this. Some things God keeps secret. And the worst thing that we can do is try to reveal things or try to, to, try to find things out that God wants to keep secret. How many of you knows if God wants it secret, you're never going to get through to it anyway? How many of you know Columbo and, and uh, Charlie Chan and uh, you don't know who these people are? Uh, Sherlock Holmes, all the great detectives, Monk, have you ever heard of Detective Monk? All these great detectives aren't going to be able to get to the answer if God's hid it. Is that right? The secret, Charlie Chan was a great, great detective. How many know he had like three sons, number one son, number two son, number three? How many remembers him? He was a great detective, one of my favorite detectives. Anyway, the secret things belong to who? To the Lord our God. So if God, now listen, this is, this is how I operate. The secret things belong to the Lord. But those things which are revealed belong to us. As I've lived my life, there's a lot of things I just can't figure out. There's a lot of things I don't understand, a lot of things I don't know. And those, in those times, when I can see it's a secret thing, I just, I just leave it alone. I leave it alone in my thought life, I just leave it alone. There's sometimes God reveals things, and He's revealed a few things to me over the years. And thank God when He does. But I've learned this, for every one thing he reveals, it seems like there's a thousand things that he doesn't. So I, I, just, I just walk in the light of the word of God that I have. I walk in the light of the things that the spirit of God reveals to me from his holy word and walk in the light you have. But if something's secret, it's secret and don't, 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 don't bother yourself with it. Can, can, can you say amen? amen? See, no matter what is happening or not happening in your life, even as tears fill your eyes and you absolutely do not understand why that thing happened. Why did that thing happen there? Why didn't that thing happen there? Why did I lose my job? Why didn't I get a promotion? Why did this sickness hit my family? Why did, why did this accident happen over here? Why did this? Why did that? Why did I lose that? Why didn't I get that? And tears in your eyes. How many's ever been there besides me? And tears in your eyes and you look up at heaven and you just do not understand. Has anybody ever been there besides me? And, the, and it seems like the sickness won't leave and, and we we rebuked it a, a thousand times in the name of Jesus and I just, I don't understand and the tears fill, fill your eyes and you do not understand two things. Number one, don't curse God. Say that, say don't curse God. Don't curse God. Job, listen, Job cursed the day of his birth but he never cursed God. Isn't that good? And the last thing and then we'll dismiss uh, we have to receive communion. We'll do that real quick. But Job 13, 15, let me leave you with this. Here's, here's the attitude you want to live with. Watch this, last, last verse. Job 13, 15, here's what Job said with the limited revelation that he had about God. And this is an attitude we all have to have. As we're looking up to heaven, we don't understand why and tears in our eyes, we need to have this attitude. And it says, though he, talking about God, though he what? Slay me, yet will I trust him. Can you say amen to that? 
That's what we need to hold on to. That he, and Job didn't have the revelation we have. He didn't know that it was, was the devil doing it. But here's what he said in the attitude we should have. Even though God, and this is where I'm at in my life, even if God came down here and, and, and slayed me, yet will I, what? Yet will I what? And you know there's not a lot of people that, that they say that, but there's not a lot of people that,